To David again and uh, all of our musicians, you have filled the Advent season for us with encouragement to come and worship the Lord. Thank you for your ministry. And let me again express to you, I know because I sometimes come in on Wednesday during rehearsal and and, uh, listen to some practice and talk a little bit. Uh, I know that you consider this a ministry. None of what the choir does is a performance. None of what these musicians do is a performance. It is their ministry. They are serving the Lord and allowing us to listen in is the way I like to put it. So thank you so very much. Thank you. You have your Bible. Would you turn with me, please? Two passages of Scripture. The first, Acts chapter 1, and the second in the book of Titus. found those two books, you might want to put your worship folder in the passage in Titus. There's only one verse I'm going to read out of Acts, and then we'll move to the book of Titus. Pray with me, please. Our Father, we have opened before us the Word of God. For all who know you as Savior, we have resident within us God the Holy Spirit. And I pray that ministry promised of God that the Holy Spirit would do. He would call to remembrance the things that they had heard, that he would be our teacher. And we ask earnestly that we might have that ministry of God the Holy Spirit to our hearts today. Lord, there's so many things that would uh, claim our attention, uh, especially at this Advent season. All of the accoutrements about Christmas, the giving of the gifts, being with family, all of them are good things, we believe, our Father. But the best thing is to be occupied with Jesus who came and lived and died that we might be forgiven, that we might have salvation, that we might have a home in heaven. Help us to be consumed with his love and with him. Bless us as we look into your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I believe that we today are standing on the threshold of the superlative event in the history of mankind. Not just the history of the church, but the history of mankind. For 2,000 years, the church has anticipated this event. Before he returned to heaven, Jesus told his followers that one day he would come back to this earth. Not in some Uh, fuzzy, uh, ethereal, mystical, spiritual way, but that he would come literally, that he would come visibly, that he would come physically. Listen to Acts chapter 1, verses 10 and 11. You follow along and let me read them, please. Acts 1, verses 10 and 11. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? 
This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Did you notice in particular those words? This same Jesus. This Jesus who was born in Bethlehem. This Jesus who was tempted by Satan. This Jesus who was in the Garden of Gethsemane. This Jesus who was on the cross. This Jesus who was, on the sep- who, who was in the sepulcher. And this Jesus who rose again. He is coming again. That same Jesus. And then the text of Scripture in the book of Acts says, He shall so come in like manner. Question. How did he go? Well, we've just read it in Acts 1. How did he go? He ascended bodily. So he will come bodily. He ascended visibly. There were those there who saw him ascend into heaven. John says the tribes of the earth will see him when he comes again. How did he ascend? He ascended from a particular place. Uh, He left. And Zechariah tells us that he will come again. And his feet will once again stand on the Mount of Olives. Coming back bodily, visibly, to a particular place. And the tribes of the earth will see him. The fact that Jesus was born and lived and died is history. That he will come again is prophecy. Someone has said that prophecy is just as certain as history, and they went on to say prophecy, in fact, is history pre-written. I think that's accurate. We cannot change the past, and by the same token, we we cannot change the future. God will keep his word, and Jesus will come again. He will return. He came the first time to save man's soul. He'll come the second time to save man's body. He came the first time to a crucifixion. He'll come a second time to a crown and to a carnation. He came the first time to a tree. He'll come the second time to a throne. He came the first time in humility and even in humiliation. He's coming the second time in honor and glory and power and authority. He came the first time to be judged by men. He's coming the second time to judge man. He came the first time to stand before Pilate. When he comes again, Pilate will stand before him. If the Bible is true, Jesus will come again. Frankly, I believe that we are closer to his second coming than we are to his first. And that's the reason for the message this morning on the subject that I'm speaking about, his coming again. I firmly believe we are closer to his coming again than we are to his first coming as a baby in a manger. Gospel songwriter, it's not classic hymnody, but gospel songwriter said, what a day that will be. And I think he was right. 
In Titus 2, verses 13 to 14, if you'll look there with me now, please. Just a few thoughts from these verses this morning. Titus chapter 2, verse 13. 2.13, Titus. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Looking. Looking for the blessed hope. We are to be looking for, as a church, we are to be looking for the return of the Savior. To look for means to give attention to something. The Apostle Paul is suggesting here, and he said this in more than one place in his writings, but he is suggesting here that we must not be caught asleep. We must not be caught off guard. That we are to be looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, he said to the church at Thessalonica, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. I believe one of the greatest tragedies of the modern church today is that people who know Jesus personally give so little or no thought at all to his return. Next to the last verse in the Bible says, Even so come, Lord Jesus. Should that not be part of our prayer life today? Even so come, Lord Jesus. Or are we so attached to this earth, to this world, to what we're going to do tomorrow, to what happened last week, to what's going to come next week or whatever? Are we so attached to that that it just pushes the return of the Lord out of our minds? Are we so caught up with what we have today that we're not anxious for the Lord to come, that we're not looking for that blessed hope, that we're not looking for the great appearing of, uh, to the appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Answer the question for yourself. What consumes your thinking? What are you looking for? Better question, who are you looking for? For the Christian, we have something and someone to look forward to. We're not looking for the undertaker. Someone added, we are looking for the uptaker. And I like that a whole lot better, don't you? Looking for the blessed hope, the apostle writes. And I've changed... Uh, my second thought here just a bit. He speaks of a blessed hope. I want to suggest not only should we be looking, but we should be hoping. Hoping. What is our hope? Well, biblically speaking, it is the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. That word blessed in the New Testament is translated in several different ways. One way it's used is happy. The original word in the original text is rendered happy in the English text, in several places. His coming ought to be a happy 
fond hope for us. It is also a blessed hope for us. The word hope in the Bible, we need to be kind of careful about. We use the word hope a great deal in common, everyday, ordinary language. I was blessed, as as many of you were, to have grandchildren in your house. Uh, Part of ours left yesterday, the rest of them left town this morning. My wife went, (laughs) As we left the house this morning, she said to me, Ross, Don't you say a word to me about getting this house back in order. (laughs) If you hear something happening to me in the next few days, you'll know I forgot it. (laughs) Grandchildren use the word hope. You know, um, I hope we can do this. Um, I hope I get a hoverboard for Christmas. I hope I get this for Christmas. Whatever. We use the word hope in a lot of different ways. In the Bible, hope, the word hope means a settled conviction that's based on fact. A settled conviction that is based on fact. That is our biblical hope. And that's what the word means. It isn't something like a wish. Looking for the blessed hope. It's not wishful thinking. We know it is sure. We know that it will occur. Again, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ is not just a hope. Sweet by and by hope. It's not that at all. But it's a settled conviction. We know, we believe, and we hold on to the fact that Jesus will come again. It's interesting, too, because the word hope involves the future. We can't hope for something that is past. Nor do we hope for something that is bad. We hope for something that is desirable. We hope for something that is possible. We hope for something that is future. And His coming is a blessed happy hope it's a fact we call it a hope but it's a fact my friends the best is yet to be however good Christmases have been however good this Christmas has been however good things are in your life right now may I say to you the best is yet to be we haven't even an inkling of what that best is Even though we read these verses, blessed hope, glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, we don't have an inkling of really what it's all about, of what it's going to be like. More glorious than anything we could even imagine. Looking for the blessed hope. Uh, Verse 13, one more time, please. Looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you will notice with me, please, looking for the blessed hope, next words, and. Okay? And 
read quickly or without some thought, it makes it seem like there are two events there. Looking for the blessed hope, second, the appearing, of the, and, and so on. But it would be better rendered to reflect the fact that there is one hope. Looking for the blessed hope, even the glory of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's one hope. Looking for that, even. That is the next event in God's program. The return of his son. Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 some a number actually of other things that will accompany this and things that his coming will accomplish. Just three of them to mention. The coming of Christ. The coming of Christ completes the redemption of every believer. The dead in Christ will be resurrected. The living in Christ will be translated. Bodily redemption will take place. Second, the coming of Christ is a day of victory. The world looked on Jesus when he walked this earth with scorn. And to a great degree, believers of today are looked on with that same thought and attitude, scorn. And so when he comes again, it'll be a day of victory. Third, his coming means we will be seeing face to face the one who loved us and gave himself for us. And it means also a sweet and blessed reunion with those who died in Christ. In this past year, some of you have lost dear, precious loved ones. May I say to you, you've not seen them for the last time. There's going to be a reunion when Jesus comes. see him face to face. If you're just contemplating that, what's it going to be like to see Jesus face to face? Fanny Crosby, and I've heard David say approximately how many hymns that lady wrote. A number of them in our, are in our hymnal. I didn't go back and, and uh, check the number of hymns, but you, you're familiar with a lot of her hymns. We sing them with Regularity and love them. You know Fanny Crosby was blind. But Fanny Crosby said she wasn't happy about her blindness. And she said, when asked why, she said because when she got to heaven and had a new body, the first person she would ever see would be Jesus. I'm taken with that. Live the life blind had a tremendous ministry that still goes on with her hymnody. But she said she was not unhappy about those days when she could not see. She would see him 
first. Well, the Apostle Paul was afflicted with a disease. Anytime he mentioned the word Jesus, he had to stop whatever he was going to do and talk about Jesus. And that's what he did. If you'll look at uh, the last words uh, of Titus 2 and verse 13, it speaks of the great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Paul could not help himself. from When he mentioned the word Christ Jesus, he had to talk about what he had done. If you look at verse 14, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. Would you look at that for me just a moment? It says, who gave himself. Christianity, without his sacrifice, wouldn't be Christianity. It would be like any other religion of which there are so many today concocted out of the fallen humanity of men and women. It'd be no different if there had been anything else. He gave himself, and without that, there is no Christianity. It makes no difference, really and truly, as far as the Bible is concerned, it makes no difference about other quote-unquote religions. Without Jesus' sacrifice, there would be no Christianity. It would be no more than the rest of the religions of the world. Jesus said, I lay down my life. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down of my own initiative. The Apostle Paul says, if you will notice, he gave himself, and then the next words are in verse 14, who gave himself for us. His Death on Calvary's cross. Two things paramount. One, it was voluntary. Nobody forced him to do what he did. I still, and I refer to it often, Mr. Joe Stevenson uh, so often would stand at that pulpit and sing. And one of his favorite songs was, He Could Have Called 10,000 Angels. But he didn't. He died alone. For you and for me. He gave himself. That's voluntary. For us. That is substitutionary. The voluntary. Substitutionary. Atonement. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself further. It says in this verse to redeem us, and to purify us. The best is yet to be, dear people. We have every reason for joy and hope in this life, on this earth. We still have the best of reasons for joy and for hope. God help us. There are Christian people, you know some of them, night or two, there are Christian people that walk around and they got a little black cloud right here. And everything's bad. Oh, pastor, I saw the news and here we go. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, pastor, I saw this politician on TV. Blah, blah, blah. Here we go. It's all bad. May I say to you, the best is yet to be. Jesus is coming. Amen. 
28% of the Old Testament, Old Testament is prophecy. 28% of the Old Testament is prophetic. 25% of the New Testament is prophetic. And if my math is right, that means 26 and one half percent of the entire Bible is prophetic. 26 and a half percent of the whole Bible is prophetic. Now, don't miss this, please. There are eight times as many prophecies about his second coming as there are his first. And there are folks who say Jesus is not coming. Well, if you can't believe Jesus is coming, what's your hope? What are you looking for? Why do you have a Bible if you can't believe Jesus is coming? Twenty-six and a half percent of the Bible is prophetic. Of all the scriptures, there are eight times as much, eight times as many references to his second coming as there are to his first. I would almost say that his second coming is eight times more certain than his first coming, but that's inaccurate. That wouldn't be true. If the Bible prophesies one thing one time, that's enough. But I think the authors of Scripture, led by the Spirit of God, wants to drive home, don't be asleep, don't be inert, be actively looking for, praying, even so come Lord Jesus. He who came once is coming back. Are you ready for that? Nobody would uh, verbalize it, I'm sure. But I wonder if it's just in the back of, uh, in the recesses of our minds somewhere. Well, okay, he's coming back, but I hope he won't come until week after next because I've got something important to do next week. Even so come, Lord Jesus. I'll say again, I believe we are closer to the time of his second coming. Much closer to that than we are his birth in a manger. Again, I ask you, are you prepared? Preacher, uh, what do you mean prepared? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? You know, the Bible says we're sinners. For a lot of folks, I have a hard time saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. But let me whisper something to you. You are. I am. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Somebody is going to pay my sin. Somebody's going to pay. The wages of sin, Paul says, is death. Somebody's going to pay for it. Jesus died for us. He gave himself for us. 
to be prepared means that you've had a relationship with him. You said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Just admit it. Lord, I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for me. And then these words are some similar. Right now, I'm trusting you as my personal Savior. You ever said that? There would never, there will never be a better time than today. If you've never trusted Christ, you can do that right where you sit. Say those words. That will settle the matter. And I pray, God, somebody in this room full of people will say that and become prepared for his return today. Say it today. Don't delay. You know the character on the pages of the New Testament said, some more convenient time. That never came for him. Don't say that today. Some more convenient time, I'll do it, Pastor. Do it today. Thank God for the first coming of Christ. We've celebrated the Advent season and all that it means. He came as a babe in a manger. He was the Son of God. He was fully God and fully man. And He went to the cross to pay for our sins. And he's coming again. What a glorious hope. Pray with me. Father, thank you for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, and for his voluntarily giving of himself no coercion, but he voluntarily voluntarily gave himself and he did it as our substitute. He gave himself for us. Preparation for his coming again. Preparation for heaven is to trust him as personal Savior. May God the Holy Spirit drive that home to every heart every mind, to every soul that is in the sound of my voice this morning. I pray and ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Number 125 in your hymnal. Uh, may I meddle for just a little bit. David would tell you the same thing. There's an adjective that somebody used in my life years ago. I don't know who it was. I don't remember the circumstances. But the, 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 the word that was used was mousy. Well, in the context, I knew what the fellow was saying. I knew to whom he was saying it years ago. 
uh, may I say to you, don't sing this hymn in a mousy fashion. Little and withholding and limited or whatever. This is not a vocal contest. Express your faith and your joy and your hope as we sing the words to these hymns. And I'll continue my meddling for just a moment. Emily, you know what I'm going to say. Put the pedal to the metal. Let's sing. Shall we stand? Some weeks ago, I asked Ross what his last sermon of 2016 would be. And he told me. He said, I'm going to speak on the second coming. The first word that came to my mind was readiness. He's asked it. The scriptures ask it. And I'm going to ask it again. Are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to return in power and glory as the Lion of Judah? If you are, are you spreading that word? Because somebody that you know is not ready. Our bulletin said next time it'll be different. When he comes again, he's not coming to provide salvation, but he's coming to judge. In Matthew 24, 44, Jesus instructs, Therefore, you also be ready. There's that word again. Be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. It's not a rhetorical question. Every man, every woman in here gets to answer that personally. And a man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him. Don't let that happen. Let me close us in prayer. King of glory, in the name of Christ Jesus and through the Holy Spirit, we bring our prayer. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem that you would bring a settled conviction upon the nation of, of Israel that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. We pray for our country and its leaders they would stop their foolish and irresponsible behavior and fall upon their knees, that they would seek your face, they would follow your counsel. We pray for a great awakening and the hope of a spiritually revived America. We lift up those on our prayer list that each concern represented there would be addressed according to your will. We acknowledge our mission of the week and ask your continued blessing upon their needs and upon their ministry in your holy name. And Father, we pray for this church. We pray for Wake Chapel. We pray for our pastors and the strength of their convictions as they lead us into a new year with challenges and opportunities. We pray for your guidance as we continue with our journey of faith and embark on a building program. We pray for our church. Pray for each one of us as we contemplate readiness and as we answer that most important question, are we ready for the second advent of our Christ? If there's one soul here today that doesn't know you as our Lord and Savior, one soul that's not ready, we pray that you will open their eyes, appeal to their heart, and through spiritual discernment, bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ Jesus, that same Jesus born in that manger so many centuries ago, that same Jesus that offers forgiveness of sins and promises an eternity with him in heaven, the best is yet to be, that same Jesus who's return we look forward to father as we leave this place today we ask that you guard each one of us in our travels let us depart ready and willing 
to serve you, to proclaim your gospel, and if necessary, to use words. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.